and welcome to the Radiation Research Society podcast. I'm here with Benjamin Blythe. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming here to talk with us today. Um, so I was reading a bit about your research, mm -hmm. and it looks like you're using a mouse model to investigate the effects of carbon ion radiotherapy. Mm -hmm. um, I had spoken with um, Eleanor Blakely, mm -hmm. also in Japan, about this type of ion therapy. Um, and so I'm very excited about this topic. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about this project um, in detail? Sure, so um, I work um, in the Radiobiology for Children's Health Research Program um, at the National Institute of Radiological Sciences, or NIRS, um, in Chiba in Japan. Mm -hmm. And our institute um, was one of the first to um, implement carbon ion radiotherapy. So we actually have a hospital on site that um, is constantly doing um, patient treatment with carbon ion radiotherapy. And so one of the things um, that our group is interested in is um, the effect of aged exposure. So we're interested in knowing um, how irradiation at different ages in people might have different cancer risks. And then we pair that with looking at the effects both of traditional radiotherapy but also this carbon ion radiotherapy. So this carbon ion radiotherapy, how common is it? Because I know in the United States, it's still not. Yeah. Um, so it's not in use care. clinically in, in the US. Um, it is now in Europe in several centers in Asia. In Asia. Um, but Japan um, was the first to use it sort of on a um, regular clinical basis. Um, and it continues to build more of these centers. So in Japan, um, it's, it's obviously it's increasing. Right. Um, but at the moment, it's limited by the technology, so having um, centers that are able to invest in this technology. But it's definitely on the rise. Now, I know this, this technology was uh, created in the United States mm -hmm. in Berkeley. Um, so it's kind of funny that it, you know, it is not in practice in the United States, but it's in practice elsewhere. And now, is that because of the risk? And that's what you're looking at, because of these secondary cancer risks? No, I think there's no limitation currently um, based on what the perceived risks are of the okay. different technologies. I think one of the reasons why it has been more um, sort of more developed in Japan is just because the, we're talking about such large infrastructure mm -hmm. that I suppose governments and institutes have to choose, you know, which way they're going to invest. And so I think it was maybe some early choices, just different governments and different um, uh, institutions have made different decisions about where to put their their money so I think protons for example in the US um, mm -hmm. have been a big thing um, and that's really where the money's gone um, whereas in Japan they've they've certainly looked more at the heavy ions but I think eventually as the technologies develop um, we're moving towards sort of all moving in the same direction eventually right so so working on pediatric cancers I can see how this research would be um, very important especially since you know if the child does survive the cancer, they have a higher chance of developing some sort of secondary cancers. Yeah, and so what, what type of cancers are you, are you looking at? So we are looking at um, a range of tumours. And what we do is that if we were to take just one mouse model, for example, that particular strain might develop one particular type of tumour. Um, and so that makes it hard to examine the full spectrum. So our approach is to actually use a whole range of mice, rats, genetically modified rodents as well, um, that each have their own susceptibility to different cancers. So by using a whole range, we're able to study breast cancer, colon cancer, brain cancer, lymphoma, leukemia, the whole gamut of cancers um, by taking this sort of multi-model approach. Oh, that's interesting. So they're not just cancers that a, a child would... 
No, so in what we're actually mainly doing is we try to expose the animals to the radiation quality and radiation dose that the normal healthy tissue would receive during a radiotherapy treatment. Okay. So rather than looking at the tumour dose, we're interested in sort of the accidental dose that the healthy tissues receive. So in the work that I've published this year, um, what we did is we took mice and irradiated them with a whole body dose of that normal tissue um, entrance dose, okay. which although the carbon ion radiotherapy is high LET, the radiation that the normal tissue receives is at the beginning of the um, beam entry through the tissue, which is actually the low LET component. So we're actually looking at high LET therapy, but looking at the low LET component and how that low LET component in the normal tissue, whether that has a different effect in terms of second cancer induction compared to traditional um, X-ray um, radiotherapy, for example. So we're looking at high LET treatment, but we're really looking at normal tissue second cancer induction. Okay. So yeah, I, I'd seen in your abstract that you are also looking at gamma radiation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so in, in, in our case, what we wanted to do was to take tumours that are induced by this carbon ion radiotherapy radiation. So we irradiate the mice, we follow them for their whole lifespan, we get a whole range of tumours, and then we've taken those tumours and we've an analysed them genetically um, to look at DNA copy number changes, looking at recombination, looking at sequence changes. And then what we need is a control to say, is, is there something unique about these particular tumours? So in this study, we used um, tumours, the same type of tumour, which is a T-cell lymphoma, but that were induced by gamma ray irradiation as sort of a photon control. Okay. So our interest was in the carbon um, induced tumours, um, but in order to sort of untangle what was specific to carbon, we used the gamma ray induced tumours. Okay, I see that was what was causing the cancer in your models. Yeah, so we know that the T-cell lymphoma is not occurring spontaneously in the mice that we use. Mm -hmm. So the frequency is less than 0.5%, for example, without radiation, but when we give a dose of um, 4 or 4.8 gray, in this case, either fractionated into four weekly fractions or as a single acute dose, we see anywhere between 20 and 50% um, T-cell lymphoma induction. And so in the, the genetic or genomic um, panel that you had looked mm -hmm. at, was there any interesting results? So what we found was that the carbon ion induced T-cell lymphomas um, have almost the exact same spectrum of genes that are involved. And in some ways that makes sense because we know that if radiation is, is inducing this type of tumour, there's a certain number in, and um, so spectrum of genes that need to be removed. Genes like um, P10, Icaros, BCL11B and Notch. And these sort of four or five genes are seen almost universally in every tumour, which shows a really defined sort of pathway of how these tumours arise. That actually makes it a really nice model because we can see that the tumours all have to meet a certain number of steps um, and we want to know how does radiation contribute to moving through that pathway. And we found that carbon and gamma induced tumours have the same steps, but the question is now how do they get through that? Mm -hmm. And that was the interesting finding was that we found that um, some genes are mutated at sort of a single base change, other genes are deleted altogether, um, often one copy is deleted or mutated and then the other copy um, 
undergoes a recombination. So we have loss of heterozygosity. So there's one event and then that event is sort of copied onto the other chromosome. And what we found is that in the carbon ion induced tumors, we saw more and more of these sort of large chromosomal deletions that we didn't observe in the gamma tumors. And this suggests that rather than these sort of small, perhaps spontaneous changes, we were actually seeing sort of direct radiation induced damage on the chromosome. One of the things we know is that um, one of the things the radiation does in this setting is not just induce DNA damage and mutations, but it causes a complete almost death of the thymus. So the thymus goes to very, very low numbers in the days after the irradiation. And then three or four days later, it's recovered almost completely to its original size and cell number. So it undergoes incredible changes in proliferation and remodeling, um, activation of stem cells to do that. And so what we think the radiation does to induce these tumors is it's both inducing DNA damage, but it's also allowing any pre-existing damage to expand clonally, which it would never normally be able to do. Normally you have all the other cells around to keep it under control, but here we're sort of giving it the perfect environment to just completely expand um, and select for all of these changes. So some of these changes are probably um, just spontaneous events or they're events that occur during the tumour growth. So most of what we see, we don't actually think is induced directly by the radiation itself. You're just selecting for these more resistant cells that yeah. to radiation. Exactly, so you have a little bit of damage that's either caused by radiation or it's pre-existing. You provide the perfect environment for those damaged cells to expand. As they expand, they acquire all of the other changes that they need within those four or five genes I mentioned and you ultimately end up with almost a very homogenous set of tumors that have all undergone the same process. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it, it again, it makes a very nice model because rather than having a very large diverse set um, to examine, we can look at how exactly those changes are taking place and are they different with carbon ion radiotherapy. So with all of this information, how will you use that to, to make this carbon therapy safer for children? So one of the things that's been um, that's a, a problem with any type of new treatment is how do you compare the dose? And so we obviously there's many ways to calculate RBE, um, and that's usually focused on the RBE in the tumor, trying to make sure that we give the correct dose to the tumor to achieve tumor control. Mm -hmm. But what we're now looking at is well, how do we define the RBE of these therapies for the normal tissue? And if it's not just the dose that changes, but it's the way the dose affects the, um, the DNA, that could make a big difference to how we think about the RBE. Heavy iron therapy is designed to reduce the dose to the normal tissue, mm -hmm. but if that dose has a completely different effect yeah. than, the, than a traditional radiotherapy, then we have to consider that balance of not just the dose, but what exactly does that dose do? Are you already seeing secondary cancers in children that are being treated with this therapy in Japan? So the radiotherapy has been going clinically for more than 20 years now. Um, so we're only, we're still in that early point where we wouldn't expect to see too many um, sort of solid tumors that are being induced. They're still so too young. Yeah, so we're right at that cusp. And children haven't been um, treated with this radiotherapy um, in any of those early years. Okay. So the idea was to start um, with difficult to treat tumors, tumors that couldn't be treated with conventional radiotherapy, and use that as our sort of start of the clinical trials. 
And now that those trials have um, shown some success, there's now moves to expand this to other tumour types and other types of patients, including children. So that's where this work is now really important, yeah. is to choose when you have a given patient, which is the best type of treatment. That makes it important to know what is that balance of risk in children versus adults. Well, so I know that there's not just carbon ion therapy, but there's different types of ions that you can use to treat tumors. Sure. And these different ions also are more effective at treating different types of tumors. Yeah. Is your lab um, considering working with other types of, of ion treatments? Yes, yeah, so our lab has done this, the same sort of lifespan studies with a whole range of ions that we can produce at the HIMAC facility at NIRS. Great. And so, Although those aren't used clinically in, in our setting, mm -hmm. um, we're still investigating their effects. And, and again, as you change the ion, you change um, the damage in the tumour, but that still leaves the question of what's happening in the normal tissue. Right. As we change each ion, does the normal tissue experience a different kind of damage? And I think it was unexpected perhaps that the low LET component of this beam um, would induce damage that is still different than the low LET um, sort of x-ray um, therapy that we're used to. So I think it's keeping that in mind that heavy ions are associated with this mm -hmm. high LET, but they still have that low LET component as they enter the tissue. And that's really what we're concerned about in terms of um, second cancer induction, that low LET component. Okay. So where do you see this going next, this project? So the next step is to continue to validate this. And we have started in one tumor type, and what we'd expect is that if this is a change that it's occurring directly at the DNA level, then when we look in a different tumour type, we should see the same sort of hallmark of these large interstitial chromosomal deletions. So we'd like to look at other tumour types induced in this same cohort of mice, but then also to expand that to different cohorts, different ions and different doses um, to really see if we can start to cement this in. Um, and then I suppose everybody's question is always the mechanism, what, what exactly is happening? And, and how are these large interstitial breaks um, occurring? Um, are they from one single event that's misrepaired or are they from two distinct events on the same chromosome? And that's sort of the next step is to try and unravel that sort of biological and chemical side of the equation. Yeah, that, that part is definitely interesting. Um, well, thank you so much for participating oh, much. in this it's discussion. Great to talk with you. Yeah, and I hope to hear more about your research in the future. Thank you very All much. All right, thank you.